As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Straight Outta Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. Twice a week, we convene to chat Chelsea comprehensively, from Alonso to Ziyech. On today's show, Lukaku latest, the first silverware of the season is up for grabs, and your questions answered. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight out of Cobham. Hey gang, it's me, Matt Davis-Adams, here with you again. We've gone with two up front today. Liam Toomey's been scraped off the ceiling after his loving with Kai to join us. How are you doing, Liam? I'm good, I'm good. It's also here to be a celebrationary pod of the Mind Series Champions 2021. <laughs> yeah. Default, the two sweetest words in the English language, as Simon Simpson once said. Uh, also joining us and getting ready to go to Belfast is Simon Johnson. Hi, Simon. Hello, I'm the, uh, the Timo Werner of this partnership. I, I sometimes miss the target. Uh, with some of the things I have to say, but occasionally I'll come good. Mm-hmm. But sometimes onside, even. Yeah, <laughs> Always makes the runs, though. Always <laughs> makes the runs. Especially to the airport. Uh, speaking of strikers, first on the agenda today, Lukaku's talking us about Romilly. Is Lukaku wants it on his left. Wants it on his left. Oh, and boy, does he deliver. And it's cut back to Lukaku. <laughs> Razor sharp. It's Lukaku. Lukaku batters it home. Game set and match in fine style. Straight to Lukaku. What a fantastic finish from Romelu Lukaku. The predatory Lukaku has pounced. It's Romelu Lukaku and it was never in doubt. So last week we said it was close. Today I guess we're saying it's even closer. The Athletic reporting on Sunday that on that day in Belgium Romelu Lukaku was having a medical ahead of his return to Stamford Bridge. Uh, Simon, I guess with all of these things, there's the odd snag being being chucked in late on, but we're expecting this to go through at some point, if not maybe imminently. Yes, um, I think the club were sort of outside hoping to, to even register him in time for the Super Cup final, but sometimes these things can develop some late snags. Um, nothing to get worried about. The, the deal's been agreed. Wages have been agreed. 
Of course, Inter Milan have got to find a replacement, which which could possibly be playing a part in all of this. But yeah, it won't be long now before we see it confirmed, and, and Lukaku will be certainly, if not facing Villarreal, um, he will be in the squad. I'm pretty sure of it uh, to face Crystal Palace, which I think is is the most important thing. I mean, of course, winning the Super Cup would be would be great, but this signing is about winning a Premier League, not not a Super Cup. Liam, according to the report on The Athletic on Sunday, 195 grand a week after tax is what he'll be taking home. You think, wow, that's a lot of money. And then you think, well, it's still 100 grand a week less than Jack Grealish is getting. So maybe actually by current standards, it, it, it's a reasonable deal? Yeah, I think so. And I think, um, well, I mean, you know, with the inevitable caveat that all of this money is obscene, <laughs> um, <laughs> relatively speaking, it's uh, it's not bad value for Chelsea. I think that with, with Lukaku, you definitely avoid the concern that I wrote about with Erling Haaland earlier this summer, which was, you know, some of the reports of the wages that he would have demanded to come in at Chelsea. You're talking about paying a 20-year-old double what anyone else in a Champions League winning squad is earning and the the associate problems that that can cause both in the dressing room and in contract negotiations that you've got going on elsewhere. We know Chelsea are currently trying to renew their entire Champions League winning defence. So I can't imagine that would have made things any easier. Lukaku doesn't um, ask the same questions or place the same stresses on, on Chelsea's wage structure. He will obviously be at the top end of of the earners, but Chelsea are buying him because they think his production will will merit that. And of course, from their perspective, as Simon said, you know, I think Chelsea have a lot of incentive to try and get this deal done as soon as possible. I'm sure Lukaku will want to be in that squad for Crystal Palace because knowing the way he's wired, he'll have his eye on the Premier League golden boot this year. And you can't afford to miss a, miss even a match day uh, if you want to try and win that award. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see whether it's him or Jorginho on pens, I guess, start of next season. Um, Simon, in terms of the, the transfer fee and the wages, there's no FFP concerns here, are there? I know it's been relaxed because of COVID, but Chelsea fairly comfortably within that, even with this mega deal. Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, this is this is. Uh, I mean, to be honest, does FFP even exist? Does anymore? it even matter? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look at Man City. I mean, if they get Kane, I don't think they're worrying about the old uh, budget, are they? Um, and PSG, their wage bill is going through the roof. Um, certainly, and Messi will, uh, will won't come cheap. Um, no, and, and Chelsea are looking to do more. I mean, this this isn't just the one deal. Um, I'm sure we'll get onto it, but Kunde is, is another one, and, and perhaps there might be uh, one more addition through through the doors. And and sort of actually answering your question, don't forget the, the considerable amount of prize money that, that Chelsea earned last season um, from the Premier League, and of course winning the Champions League, and now crowds are coming back, etc. Um, so they don't have that sort of um, anchor in terms of on their finances that, that that has been there for the last 18 months, you know, crowds, full crowds at Stamford Bridge again, um, will, will help with the budget. So yeah, no, no concerns at all. The biggest concern of course, is the, is the size of the squad and, and getting rid of the, the riffraff for, for want of a better phrase. Um, that, that is still an ongoing process. It just shows that we've got to this, um, relatively late stage of the window. There's still plenty of time, of course, but, there's so many of the players that Chelsea don't need, don't want, that, that are still turning up the cobham on a daily basis. 
Yeah, lots of brinkmanship going on right until the end of August, right across football, I think. Emily, mean, we, we touched upon this briefly last week, but but I want to mention it again. It, there's a sense of, of sort of underwhelmment amongst a section of the Chelsea fan base about signing Romelu Lukaku. And they maybe not taking into account what he's done since he left the club. I mean, we're talking about one of the, the top five strikers in, in Europe or maybe even the world. And he's at his absolute peak at the moment. People should be dancing in the streets, shouldn't they? Is it just familiarity sort of breeding a bit of apathy, maybe? I just think he's not the exciting new thing. Um, Erling Haaland very much is. You know, the, if you if you wanted the choice between the 28-year-old the, the known quantity who's even been at your club before or the 21-year-old sensation that everyone in Europe is talking about and everyone wants, a lot of fans will be more hyped about the 21-year-old. And it, I think it's understandable because in football, we're always looking um, for the next thing. But Lukaku is, as I wrote in my piece, um, an elite answer to Chelsea's most pressing need. They they haven't had a reliable goal scorer since Diego Costa left in 2017. And of course, they tried to get Lukaku then. And for one reason or another, they were forced down the Alvaro Morata path and to the benefit of no one involved in that. Uh, I don't, Lukaku didn't benefit from going to Manchester United either. Um, so they've kind of danced around each other and finally they're back together. And I, I just think Chelsea have a coach in Thomas Tuchel that knows how to put Lukaku in the best positions to succeed tactically. And Lukaku himself has become a more mature, complete player and and even evolved his game as a playmaker a little bit in in Italy over the last two years, as I wrote with uh, Tom Werville, Mark Carey in a piece on the Athletic right now. So he he I think is is a better version of the player that left Chelsea seven years ago, and uh, and I, I think he's going to make the desired impact as long as he stays fit because he's been one of the most reliable goal scorers in Europe. And uh, I mean I, I think we touched on it in the last pod, but I, I wrote a piece. Was sort of very much touching on this theme, and as Liam rightly pointed out, there is this kind of oh, it's not Haaland disappointment. It's like yeah, but you know that was always a, a possibility that Haaland wouldn't come. It was it was always going to be a, a tough battle, one to convince Dortmund, but also to convince Haaland. He's he's got no shortage of suitors, and there'll be even more ne- next year. But getting back to Lukaku and his strengths, we're talking about a guy at the peak of his career. Plus, you've got someone who knows the Premier League. I've no doubts that Haaland will come good, but there may have been, it's hypothetical, there may have been an adaption process. We've seen with two Germans arriving from the Bundesliga a year ago in, in Werner and Havertz that suddenly they went, oh, hang on a minute, this this Premier League is a bit tougher than I thought. Who knows if, if Haaland probably would have scored five goals in the opening game, but who knows? Who knows? But whereas Lukaku, this is a guy that scored 113 Premier League goals. We, we know that he gets to the Premier League. It's not like he's going to be arriving at Cobham going, oh, this place feels a bit weird. He, he knows Cobham. He knows Stamford Bridge. This is a club where his dream was to emulate Didier Drogba. I think it's a fantastic signing. And, and I don't understand why anyone would sort of feel negative about it. Just because Chelsea haven't signed Haaland. Think of the, think of the positives instead. Absolutely. Uh, We'll talk a bit more about Lukaku when we answer your questions later. Uh, Next, though, there's a trophy up for grabs for Chelsea this week and we'll preview the Super Cup next. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So Chelsea head to Belfast on Wednesday to take on Europa League winners Villarreal in the 2021 Super Cup. Liam, it's a it's a charity shield type question. Is this a friendly or is this a competitive match? It's a competitive match if you win. It's a friendly <laughs> if you lose. Um, I, I think that's the mindset most clubs go into Community Shields or Super Cups with. Chelsea have had some good Super Cup memories before. Of course, beating beating Real Madrid in Monaco. Uh, was a was a big big one, getting destroyed by Radamel Falcao and Atletico Madrid. Uh, less so, it's probably a friendly that year in in hindsight. But it's a chance for a trophy, isn't it? It's a chance to to build on the goodwill and the the momentum that that Tuchel built uh, with the Champions League win and the top four finish. I think it's one he'll be keen to take because Chelsea have quite a tricky start to the Premier League season. So the more you can get that confidence flowing early. Um, particularly if some of Chelsea's attacking players can get into some sort of rhythm and they can look a little bit more ruthless going forward, then the the better it should be for their season's prospects. Villarreal are also a good team, so it'll be a good test. They're a really good, solid European side. Um, I think United, you know, probably shot themselves in the foot a little bit in that Europa League final. So judging by that, I think you'd make Chelsea quite clear favourites. But the other reason why it's maybe a little bit more complicated is that you don't know what team Tuchel is going to be able to field. Uh, pre-season's been such a mishmash of when players have returned and what sort of physical condition they're in that I think he'll just be looking for a good performance from the team he puts out and and a victory to to build on that positive feeling. Uh, Simon, there was a, a bounce game at Cobham this weekend, wasn't there, for, for players who came back from the Euros late to, to get some minutes in some form or fashion. Does that mean that the lineup on Wednesday will be pretty similar to the one that starts against Palace on Saturday? I, I mean, who knows? I mean, it's, it's I think I think the, the Super Cup final is going to reflect a lot more um, the team that faced Spurs last Wednesday, the, the last competitive friendly. And the in-house friendly um, was sort of much more geared towards Palace, I think. I'm sure there'll be sort of players on the bench, etc. But in terms of those with sort of real minutes behind them, Tuchel's clearly going to lean on them. There, there has been, and we saw in the first half against Spurs, didn't we? It was quite a impressive performance with that with that eleven. So I, I think the gist of the team will come from that. Um, you don't want to. Given the given that sort of the, the the Euros players have only been training for what a week, it's it's a bit much to sort of throw them in two games in in the space of three or four days. They'll probably come off the bench um, if need be. Um, but yeah, I, I think Palace is it, it, it's the it's the challenge that Tuchel's got 
you know, he's going to have to constantly think sort of a few games ahead. But sort of just picking up on the point about how important this game is, I think it's important to Thomas Tuchel. He, he strikes me as someone that won't let any game go, like even a even a friendly. I think he was probably miffed about two goals being conceded, but you know, against Spurs and letting that win go. I, I just get the feeling he's the kind of guy that if there's a game, if it's a game in his backyard, he wants to win it. So, yeah, Chelsea want to win this. Um, it's a nice, easy piece of silverware to get. And, uh, yeah, Chelsea have, have only won it once, don't forget. And that was back in 1998. They've had a few disappointments. And I think it's a, it's better than the Community Shield. I think it's got a lot, a bit more kudos than that. The problem is the opposition. There's a bit less. Beating Villarreal doesn't quite get the juices flowing as, say, if they'd beaten like Bayern Munich, uh, who they lost to in 2013, for example. Yeah, producer Lucy pointing out that Bayern in 2013 was the beginning of the end for Romelu Lukaku, of course, Mr. Penalty yeah. in the shootout. Romelu Lukaku has taken penalties in his time at West Bromwich Albion. Hasn't scored an official goal in his uh, Chelsea career, limited Chelsea career. This won't count as one, but it will mean a, a huge amount if he does score. And, of course, the consequences are dire if he doesn't. Lukaku. And Neuer saves and Bayern have won the Super Cup. As for Villarreal, they'll be up for this too. The, the win in the Europa League was actually their first major trophy in, in their history, so a chance for them to, to double their total in the space of a couple of months. Uh, we'll react to the Super Cup on Thursday's pod. That's right, we're twice weekly from this season. Next today, we'll answer your tweets. Thanks as ever for the many contributions we've had via Twitter. Even if we don't get to them, we appreciate your efforts. Uh, we'll do this rapid fire. Lots of people talking tactics. Here's Tushar asking, Lukaku joining the squad makes him nailed on for the centre-forward spot, which means there are two attacking players' spots left and quite a lot of players to be played there. Do we expect a change in formation to accommodate all the attacking talent we have? Liam, lots of people talking about maybe going to a back four. It seems to me that Tuchel's pretty wedded to this 3-4-3. Can you see him mixing it up? I don't think we can entirely rule it out, but what I would say is I think if... if if a back four was going to be a bigger part of Tuchel's tactical approach to this season, I think we might have seen it a little bit more in pre-season. Regardless of the personnel he's played, he seems to have stuck with the the wing-back system. And even if it means shoehorning players into those wing-back spots, he's, he's tended to try to keep with that tactical consistency. So I would expect for the most part that we see Lukaku in a front three in that wing-back system. Now, how that front three looks, I think, will change depending on the opponent because we saw two court times last year go with more of a 3-4-1-2 uh, with a number 10 and then sort of split strikers. I could see that quite a bit uh, with either Havertz and Werner. Uh, sorry, uh, Lukaku and Werner. Havertz on the brain, of course. Um, <laughs> Lukaku and Werner or Lukaku and Havertz in a front two um, with like Mount as a number 10 in behind or we see you know, more of what we saw last year, which was a number nine with it, what Tuchel calls a left 10 and a right 10 either side of him. And of course, Lukaku will probably be that number nine most of the time. We did also see Roberto Martinez use Lukaku a bit from the right for Everton and Belgium. So I think there's going to be a fair amount of fluidity in Tuchel's attack, even if, you know, even with Lukaku in it, he's not, he's by no means a static number nine. 
Uh, this leads on to a question from Soam, which I'll put to you, Simon. Who among Mount, Werner, Pulisic, Ziyech and Havertz gained the most from Lukaku joining? Werner. I, I think Werner, um, for a number of reasons, um, mainly uh, I think sort of from a pressure point of view, that that um, he's, he's no longer he's kind of the... Obviously, he's not the sole sort of goal supply, goal, you know, the, the guy that's going to get you goals from last season, but very much he was the new striker. He was expected to to deliver and, you know, he he, he did all right, um, certainly in the assist column. Um, but now he's got someone, all the pressure's on Lukaku's shoulders now and, and perhaps that will give sort of Werner sort of that feeling of, okay, the spotlight isn't on me. Um and also someone to play off and a consistent someone to play off. There was so so much sort of rotation, uh, whether he played down the middle or on the left. I think we can safely say that Lukaku's going to be leading the line pretty much every week and Werner will either be alongside him or, or to the left. Um, so, yeah, I think he'll benefit. Um, others, it, it's going to be fascinating to watch sort of how, how Tuchel handles this. He's got all these guys that want to play. Um, in all these attacking positions. And, you know, he had a tough enough job to keep people happy last season. The good thing is that there's so many games that um, he can rotate and he's got so many options. And what a bench it's going to be as well. Um, so like, if things are going wrong, he can say if he is playing a 3-4-3, he, he, he can easily switch it up and, and go with two up top. I just wanted to add on Werner. Um, I totally agree with with Simon because we we did a statistical piece last year where I went through and, and looked at um, different attackers, ruthlessness, efficiency with big chances and, and shot conversion in general. Um, and when you compare Werner to a lot of the other big guys around the Premier League, he profiles a lot more as a good secondary scorer rather than a primary scorer like a Salah or, or, or someone like that in a top, top team. Um, and so I think getting Lukaku in, apart from the style aspect, which Simon mentioned, which, you know, Werner's often played very well alongside a more sort of muscular focal point. It means he can fit much more easily into that high level secondary scoring mode. The other thing to say is I think Havertz also had times in Germany where he played well off a, a proper number nine. So it gives Tuchel a lot more possibilities. Uh, while we're talking sort of transfers. DZ wants to know, is Koundé likely to happen before the season starts on Saturday or will it be classic Chelsea deadline day? Uh, Simon, hashtag any Koundé update? <laughs> um, I think it's still about the fee and and as I said on the pod last week, Lukaku's been the the focus. Um, so once Lukaku's done, I think it then switches back to Koundé. Sevilla are obviously wanting the the cash um Chelsea are constantly trying to offer players. <laughs> we saw this with um with Lukaku. They're sort of going, Oh, you know, take a can't you take a Zappa Costa, can't you take an Emerson, can't you take a Marcus Alonso? <laughs> no, we'll have the money, please. <laughs> um so I, I I expect it to go sort of switch back to Kunde very quickly. Can I say it'll be done before Saturday? It's possible, but they're running out of time. Simon, on Messi, there were a couple of reports yesterday that, that Chelsea, Roman Abramovich had called a, an emergency meeting, etc. and so on. Nothing in that, presumably. It was down. It was downplayed within within Chelsea. Um, and, and when I saw it, 
he sort of went, oh, here we go. <laughs> to quote Fabrizio Romano. Um, <laughs> um, I went, oh, no, I'm going to be bombarded with any messy news now for the next sort of three weeks or whatever. But my instant reaction, even without sort of putting any calls in, was that how, how are Chelsea going to, you know, afford this wage-wise? I mean, we're, we're talking, it's just forget sort of Lukaku's salary. This is going to trumpet. And, and Chelsea's wage bill is already out of control. Um, let, let's just say that the, the, the noises that came out of Chelsea were, um, yeah, kind of dismissive of, um, yeah, they don't have that kind of um, financial resources was sort of a polite way of putting it. All right. Uh, here's a couple to finish with. Liam, somebody who haven't spoke about much is Ethan Ampadu. Yana says, what does the future look like for Ampadu? We've had lots of people, including um, Simon Beale, talking about a fourth midfielder in this in this Chelsea team. Now Now Billy Gilmore's gone. Any chance at all that that's Ampadu? Or has maybe Trevor Chaloba shown in pre-season that he's somebody worth keeping around, can play in that position too? Or a another, Ruben, Ross Barkley, anybody? I do well. I do think there's a space for that fourth midfielder. Um, it's not entirely clear who it will be yet, but I don't think it'll be Ampadu um, purely because the the only minutes we've seen him play in preseason have been in defence. That seems to be where Tuchel sees him in the middle of that back three. And similarly with with, with Chalaba, um, you know he he's been playing either in the middle or on the right of that back three. And I think he's had a very good preseason. And Tuchel has spoken really well of him, said he already knew him at Lorient. He's, he's been impressed with the progress he's made. But I'm not sure there's the opening there for him in, in the first team this year. And there have already been suggestions Chelsea are looking for a loan for him, again, with a view to him playing centre-back rather than midfield. So that seems to be the vision they have for, for both of them, more as, as players that can bring the ball out of defence and initiate attacks rather than trying to conduct play from the middle. Um Conor Gallagher would have been one that you would have said could have been that fourth midfielder. But I think f- from his perspective, he felt he needed more minutes. And therein lies the difficulty for Chelsea because they have a lot of candidates like Gallagher, like Gilmore, people like that, who just don't want that role because they want more of a chance to shine. Here's a final question from Shivank. Uh, I'll put it to you, Simon. Loads of our defenders are on the last year or two of their contracts. Azpilicueta, Rudiger, Silva, Zuma, Christensen, Alonso. Who are the board prioritising for renewal slash extension? Um, I'm not sure prioritising is, is the right phrase. Um, like Talks happen as and when. Christensen, they've already started talks. Um, Rudiger made it pretty clear that he wouldn't have any negotiations until after the Euros. And indications are that there, there's been a very initial discussion, but nothing too formal at this stage in that regard. Um, as for the Quater, um, I don't think we've got sort of any sort of actual guidance on that yet, but I don't think there's any rush with As for the Quater. Um, Thiago Silva was inevitably, you know, I think people should be accepting the fact that it's probably going to be his last season. He, he can't rule anything out. I think it's sort of see how it goes kind of thing. For this year, so that's that's your four main centre back. So I, I don't think it's uh, like I said. I don't think it's a case of prioritising. Clearly, Chelsea need to get a move on a little bit after the window shut. People should bear that in mind. I mean, obviously Chelsea have got other talking about priorities. Their priorities are incomings and 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 trying to get the deadwood 
find them new clubs, etc., and loans. Um, but from September to December, expect a lot more conversations to take place because then you you don't want to go into January where players then suddenly can talk to foreign clubs about pre-contracts, etc., and leaving on a free next year. I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that a few of those guys will stay on. But in Rudiger's case, he's asking for the big bucks and, and he can't blame him. This is his last big contract. Um, and there will be a number of uh, clubs abroad that think, oh, Rudiger on a free transfer next year. Uh, let's uh, let's make him aware that we're around if he needs us. I guess if they were going to prioritise him, it would be Rudiger and Christensen, wouldn't it? Because Christensen's stock's gone up because he had a really good Euros. Rudiger, you know, as we know, and as Simon's mentioned, one of the one of the best defenders around at the moment. And you would expect. You know, Alonso, they've been looking to, to get rid of him for ages by, by the looks of it. As Piliqueta, you know, decent club man, club captain. He'll probably be happy to wait for, for, for the club to kind of initiate that and would be happy to stay. And, and Thiago Silva, similar, he might even be retiring. So so it would be Rudiger and Christensen who might become the priority. Yeah, I think they're kind of the priorities one and one A. Um, I mean, I would be inclined to make Christensen the top priority purely because of his age, even though he's not always starting right now. Um, he's kind of alternating with Thiago Silva in that middle position in the three. He showed last year that he's ready to take that position when Silva finally departs or or when his performance levels drop off a little bit. And also the fact that with Rudiger, you're talking about a massive contract potentially to take him into his 30s, uh, which I know Chelsea are always a little bit worried about. I know we've just mentioned Thiago Silva, who's <laughs> an exception to every age-related rule, but... Um, but Rudiger, I think, is an int- is a difficult conversation um, and a difficult negotiation for Chelsea. He, his situation reminds me a little bit of Genie Wijnaldum's at Liverpool, where you've got a player in their late 20s who knows that if they just wait a year, there might be someone like a PSG that turns around and throws 400 grand a week at them. Um, and Chelsea might have to pay a bit of a premium to to keep him out of that free agency market. So it just comes down to whether they're happy to do that or not. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Before we go, let's hear what the chaps have been writing about for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Liam, your piece with Kai Havertz has been up for a while, but I wanted to talk about it because it's uh, it's really good. How did you how did you find the experience of kind of share screening his goals with him? I, I guess it's it's probably the kind of thing that he does quite a bit with coaches and analysts, but but a new thing for a journalist, did he? 
Yeah, we've done a couple of interviews like this at the company. Um, I know our, our Aston Villa guy, Greg Evans, did one with um, Jack Grealish, or he who must not be named at Villa Park now. <laughs> um, so it, it's something, my game in my words is kind of a series we've got at The Athletic. It was the first time I'd ever done it and not ideal via Zoom. I would much have preferred to have been in the same room as him, sitting down, watching a laptop, and then you can have more of a conversation Um as it was, I had to share screen, which meant he couldn't really see me and watch the clips. I couldn't really see him and watch the clips. And I had to kind of play and pause while I was asking questions. So it was good, though. It was good. It was it's kind of a way to try and get someone who I think is a little bit more introverted. I've always got that impression with Havertz to, to kind of come out of his shell and, and talk about football, uh, which, of course, is one of his most passionate subjects um, and kind of really really engage and I think we got some nice stuff out of him particularly on how he works with Mason Mount and his relationship with Timo Werner uh, and the initial feedback from from Chelsea fans has been really good they've enjoyed it yeah and the uh, the origin story for him wearing the number 29 shirt as well athletic.com slash Chelsea pod the place to go to sign up if you want to read that uh, Simon you've been on Lukaku watch chiefly but you've also contributed to the Premier League breakthrough stars piece which is up on the athletic now Tino Andrin not somebody we mentioned in that chat for the fourth midfielder spot but arguably might be in pole position for it at the moment yeah possibly um of course one of the positions that Chelsea is one of the positions Chelsea might be signing uh, a new player um Declan Rice is is probably unlikely now um but you never say never because we all know that if if Chelsea somehow agreed a fee with West Ham, Declan Rice would probably be uh, um, quite keen to to make the switch across London. But anyway, getting back to the point, um, you know, Andrew was was spoken about by Tuchel after the Tottenham game. He, he did a very promising cameo um, off the bench, especially when he factor in he's been very unlucky with with contracting COVID uh, during pre season, which meant that was the first time we've seen him. And I thought he did very well under the circumstances. He is a he is a kind of a it sounds a bit of a lazy comparison, but he is quite a sort of a younger Ruben Loftus Cheek kind of star that sort of just this ability to sort of break break past players in midfield. It's a, a tough decision uh, for him as well, because uh, do you do you sort of accept this sort of bit part role, or is it best for your development? having not played much football last season um, either, uh, to go off on loan. Um, it, it feels like we're, we're going to be talking about this forever on Straight Out of Cobham, this this debate. But as a player, I think he is he is the real deal. He's got a lot of quality. It's just the lack of football in his legs that's, that's holding him back as, from a Chelsea point of view. Yeah, I guess maybe the the plus on that would be that he's he's seemed a little bit fragile coming through, quite susceptible to injury. So he might be one of those players who yeah. thinks actually playing in the Carabao Cup and match day six of the Champions League and coming on for the last ten minutes of a few Premier League games is better for me than than being kicked around in League One for a year or two, Liam. Yeah, I think everything we've heard about Andrin is that Tuchel likes him. Um and so far you know, we don't know what's going to happen in what remains of the window, but so far Tuchel has wanted to keep him in the first team building and, and train him with the squad as much as he can. I don't, I don't actually think Andrin's had a mass of injuries. I think he's just had a few injuries at the worst possible times. Every time he's been about to get an opportunity, uh, it, it feels like he's had a setback or most recently COVID, which is even more random and unlucky. 
But he's there's no doubting his talent. I think he can play in that central midfield spot or in the front three where Tuchel has often used him. And uh, and we'll, we'll have to see what happens in the next couple of weeks. But I think in isolation, uh, the Tuchel would have no objection to, to throwing him into to real minutes. We'll see as the season rolls on, I guess. Uh, Simon, enjoy the Super Cup final on Wednesday. We'll do my best. <laughs> and Liam, you'll be back with us next week. Look forward to that. Looking forward to it. Many thanks to Simon, to Liam and to producer Lucy. We're back on Thursday with Don Fifield and Sam Parkin building up to that game against Crystal Palace and looking back at what happens at Windsor Park on Wednesday night. Until then, thanks for joining us. We'll be back with Straight Out of Cobham on Thursday. The Athletic. <laughs>